Welcome to Buildings and Beyond. The podcast that explores how we can create a more sustainable built environment. By focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health. I'm Rob Aldrich. And I'm Kelly Westby. By now, I bet you've heard of it. The Climate Mobilization Act, or what most people seem to be calling it, New York City's Green New Deal, which City Council passed on Thursday, April 18th. The act is a package of bills geared towards reducing the city's emissions. The package includes one bill ordering the city to complete a study over the next two years on the feasibility of replacing oil and gas burning power plants. Another establishes an energy loan program. Two more require certain buildings to cover their roofs with plants, solar panels, and small wind turbines, or a mix. And the final adjusts the city's building code to make it easier to build wind turbines. Today, though, we are going to focus in on yet another bill in this package, one that the City Council referred to as the centerpiece. The bottom line is that New York City buildings account for almost 70% of carbon emissions, and in order to achieve the city's goals of reducing emissions by 80% by 2050, the City Council believes building owners must take action now. Whatever your thoughts were on the initial bill, On the process of enactment or on the final version passed on Thursday, everyone in the industry from Rebney to City Council to sustainability organizations such as Urban Green can agree that this is a really big deal. Mark Zuluaga has been working at SWA for almost 20 years and has been one of many people involved in the development of New York City's climate policies. From serving on the New York City Green Code Task Force in 2010, and continuing to work with Urban Green as an advisor on the most recent round of legislation. Mark urges us all to focus on the future. What does this really mean for the building industry? And what do we need to do to set us up to successfully meet these targets? So Mark, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm a a big fan. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, So big things are happening. In the city, um, we were here today to talk about uh, one portion of the the Climate Mobilization Act uh, and and the part that focuses on decarbonization of of buildings. Can you just start by giving us a little background? Why uh, why are we paying attention to this bill? Um, wh- where did it come from? Uh- Sure. So, um, you know, and we're, we're recording on, uh, on, on Friday uh, in advance of the signing, right? Um, we don't know the new local law name yet at, the, at this taping, but uh, Introduction 1253 was just passed by the, the City Council, and it's a pretty uh, sweeping new um, local law that will kind of require, you know, dramatic changes and reductions in, in how existing buildings that are bigger than 25,000 square feet, which is about Three billion square feet of New York City. Um, you know h- how they use energy, uh, specifically requiring kind of pretty significant reductions uh, across the board for for most buildings uh, in in this kind of segment of the of the city. And why are we so focused on buildings in in New York City? What uh, how does this relate to our larger climate change goals? Sure. So uh, you know, approximately you know at least seventy percent of the GHG emissions. Uh, in, in New York uh, come come from the building sector, so you can't meet the the near or long-term carbon reduction goals that the city has without uh, addressing buildings. 
And and maybe to take uh, two two steps back uh, while we're talking about this New York bill, this uh, whole uh, thing is is very much in line with uh, actions that other cities are are taking or or at least evaluating. Uh, Washington D.C. recently passed their own uh, existing buildings uh, performance based bill, and uh, many other cities uh, are also looking at, at both D.C. and New York as as models to kind of replicate over the over the coming years, kind of like the. Uh, the no smoking thing started in New York a long time ago under Bloomberg, and then uh, you know slowly got rolled out, uh, you know, you know, internationally. That's an excellent point, and I, for one, am definitely thankful that we have banned smoking in, in buildings. So uh, I think that was a good move, and hopefully this one will be too. Focusing in a little bit on how does this uh, how does this bill actually roll out? Um, what are we looking at? What exactly are the targets in it? Sure. Well, I mean, it's it's pretty abstract stuff, and I, I think one important thing to understand is just the the context. Uh, uh, you know, to get a, just an initial feel for the scope, uh, the you know the, the the city council, the mayor, the, the drafters of the bill, and a, and a large cross section of of the industry that uh, has been engaged over the past uh, year or two uh, on this subject um, has really approached this as a you know. Uh, Departure from 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 business as usual, uh, based on the you know severity of, of climate change and, and what the IPCC and and other reports tell us. So this is um, you know very much uh, a big change from you know going back to the early Bloomberg uh, you know administration's policies that were more around just providing the market with information like energy uh, benchmarking to you know provide owners with information on how much energy they're using or even even energy audits, which give give owners a you know recommendations on how to how to change their their buildings, but uh, don't require any any action. So so this bill is is very much um, you know breaking out of that mold and actually requiring uh, these significant retrofits in in buildings, and it's using a um, a carbon based kind of uh, carbon intensity metric uh, to sort of guide the market uh, uh, you know towards these kinds of retrofits. So you know specifically. Uh, buildings will have, uh, depending on if they're office buildings or multifamily or storage buildings or schools, will have a, a carbon target per per square foot. Um, the carbon target's calculated by adding up all the owner paid and uh, tenant uh, as well uh, energy used in the building, dividing by the by the by the square footage and and converting to kind of carbon emissions, and and that's how you get your intensity and and. Uh, the fines uh, that will be used to sort of spur action will be uh, proportional to how much any one building is is over their their carbon budget um, starting in in 2024 being the the first year that the the targets will be in place uh, uh, after that it'll uh, ratchet down to in 2029 to a deeper uh, targets uh, and then uh, uh, to a, even a greater degree in, in 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 years after after 2030. Wow, that is a lot to cover. So maybe we'll break it down a little bit uh, piece by piece. And um, I, you know, I sort of led you to a, a broad overview of the of the legislation, which is great. Starting uh, taking a little bit of a step back to what you were first talking about that. This kind of is a departure from the initial set of laws about information gathering. Would you also say, though, that we kind of needed to start with the laws of information gathering before we got into setting these caps? Was that information used in determining 
you know, what these caps should be or um, was that a necessary step or, or was it a step that we thought would have more of an impact and, and then didn't? Um, you know, going back, I, I think it's been 10 years-ish uh, since the initial benchmarking law was, was, was passed. Uh, uh, I, I certainly didn't uh, have any, uh, you know, grand idea of, of what would happen after, after that. And, and I don't know if it was uh, an unintended consequence or, or, or not, but maybe, maybe it was, you know, really, you know, core to the intent. But I, I think the amount of information we know about buildings as a result of these kind of public disclosure laws uh, has, you know, substantially increased. Um, and, you know, that's been helpful to understand kind of how buildings are doing at the individual level, but it's, it's also been very helpful to policymakers to understand kind of globally how, how buildings are, 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 are being, you know, how, how they're performing, you know, relative, relative to peers at, at kind of at scale. Um, and that kind of data uh, certainly uh, informed the uh, the sort of framework for setting these these new targets, which are, are uh, you know set at kind of percentages uh, such that in in 2024, you know maybe just the outlier buildings, the 10, 15 percent uh, most carbon intensity would be would be kind of caught by that cap. Uh, but uh, the you know, 2030 uh, numbers would would catch a, a much greater degree of the of the market, and that's all based on the the data that has been collected um, going back to the uh, early early Bloomberg days. So, yes, the the two are definitely very much tied tied together, and the fact that other cities have uh, also enacted public disclosure and benchmarking um, is, uh, I think, you know, allows for kind of greater compatibility in these these policies uh, across across cities, which is. Which is probably, um, although I don't, I don't think you know, owners uh, probably love a lot of this stuff. I, I think um, at least the idea of having some standard approach uh, across different markets is probably better than everybody doing it seventeen different ways. Um, but um, at this point, it's just New York and DC that have uh, kind of taken the plunge with uh, this kind of uh, you know performance-based uh, requirement. Great, and then. The cap you talked about, and you talked about sort of the rollout a little bit. Let's dive in maybe to the timeline specifically first. There's a there's a 2024, there's a 2030, there's 2050. Uh, what's what's the rollout supposed to look like, and um, can you kind of describe that timeline? Uh, sure. So uh, the you know just like every building, uh, you know reports their. Uh, uh, Energy benchmarking information on an annual basis, um, starting you know, and has for uh, a while. Starting in 2024, there'll be a, call it a, a more more robust um, uh, reporting that um, sort of certifies the energy use uh, and and square footage and space programming of of particular buildings for basically uh, you know uh, defining a, a, a effectively a, a carbon Carbon intensity for that building, kind of like kind of like you're doing your 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 taxes, basically, um, and that building will be then compared to uh, you know what what the relevant threshold is, target threshold is for its its use type, and if it's over the use type, then there'll be a a fine leveled uh, kind of in proportion um, for every year thereafter. So uh, after 2024 and 2025 and 2026. Um, it'll be relative to one target, and there'll be fines on an annual basis. 
uh, starting uh, with the 2029 performance, the target will will ratchet down, and the the fines would um, you know continue um, if if no retrofits or upgrades have have been done to sort of get the buildings uh, under 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 compliance. What are those fines really going to look like for for a typical building in in New York? Um, well, hopefully, a, a typical building in New York by 2030 has has you know zero fines. I mean, that's that's the intent <laughs> that uh, you know upgrades are are, are made point. such that. Uh, um, you know the the carbon footprint goes goes down, and there's there's you know no no fines issued. Um, but uh, you know for for any buildings that uh, you know for whatever reasons uh, don't implement upgrades, um, you know the fines are, are are pretty 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 steep, and and I think will you know are intended to send a, a you know a, a strong signal to the market. So um, you know buildings that you know today don't do anything for the next ten years. Uh, you know, could stand to be fined on, on the order of, um, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, you know, 80 cents a, a square foot or, or, or more. Um, that's, that's pretty significant. That's kind of for a, a residential be- building, you know, as much as an owner, owner paid expenses might be to, to operate the building for utility costs. Um, so, um, again, I, I, don't, I don't anticipate a situation where where buildings do absolutely nothing since these fines are so significant. But um, if any buildings, you know, don't do anything over the next 10 years, the, the fines will be um, quite, quite, quite steep. And I, and I think, you know, as a result, uh, spur, spur a lot of action. Right. And I, there are also the sort of question and maybe the analogy to the car industry of how, uh, how might people try to get around writing down how much they're actually consuming and how might they try to maybe tweak their numbers a little bit. Um, has the city put in place any um, ways of making sure that owners don't do that? Uh, I think, you know, in, in enforcement will, will uh, is, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure what the exact plans are, but um, uh, will we'll be, as with any law, you know, critical. Um, I think that uh, um, the Kind of simplicity of the metric. Um, it's really just your square footage and your total energy use and your space programming is all that's reported. Um, will make sort of administration uh, more straightforward. Uh, that said, um, you know, I, you know, if you read the, the 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 law, there's there's language on just like a, a accountant who prepares someone's taxes. Uh, you know, there's uh, you know some pretty severe you know penalties for anyone that misrepresents data. Um, and I think the the only thing to uh, you know that's probably not reported uh, you know from the utility is is oil use. Um, you know I don't know if there'll be a a, a market for uh, uh, oil deliveries that uh, you know aren't uh, you know don't show up in, in building owners' energy records. Uh, but I, I um, imagine that um, you know um, some some smart regulations can can probably. Level the playing field uh, for 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 that sort of sort of thing, but um, that's not, yeah. The enforcement thing is not not really my department, but I I imagine there's there's people that'll be looking pretty closely at that. Right, that's great. And the fines on on misrepresenting, I think, can be up to ten times uh, the fines for for por- performance. So um, definitely incentivizing putting the right things down, even if uh, even if your building is consuming more. And the the targets have been defined already here in the the legislation that was um, voted on yesterday. You talked a little bit about how they're uh, carbon based targets, but the 
building owners maybe are more used to seeing their energy information um, based on energy benchmarking that's been around for a long time. Why the move to a carbon-based target for us and and what does that mean for for the industry and um, how is that going to be translated? Sure. I guess it's it's my understanding that the um, you know if if the goals in terms of you know eighty percent carbon reductions by twenty fifty or or forty percent by 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 twenty thirty, which uh, uh, this legislation is is intended to sort of support both. Um, if, if the goals are in terms of carbon, the 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 thinking I guess is that the most efficient uh, metric is to actually use a, a carbon metric, um, uh, and you know that's probably the best way of of allocating. Uh, societal resources to to meet these these long term goals. Um, I think owners think primarily in terms of dollars. I, I think um, there are some owners who are closely looking at their Energy Star portfolio manager benchmarking and and know what the difference is between source EUI and site EUI and and mm-hmm. uh, and you know that sort of thing. But I think you know most of the market thinks in terms of dollars. Um, carbon is is different from dollars, and and carbon is also different from energy. Um, most notably is is you know it, it's not just about how much energy you use per per site, but it's um, you know the, the the source of that energy. So uh, for example, uh, uh, number two oil has about a forty percent higher carbon footprint for every BTU uh, delivered compared to natural gas. So even two buildings that have the same energy use uh, per per square foot will have dramatically different carbon footprints if one's on oil and one's on one's on gas. So I, I think it's it's basically um, providing the market with a uh, you know uh, more than just energy efficiency uh, signal, uh, and uh, that's you know I guess that's the intent of the of, of of the metric. Great, that's a really good point, and I think there's maybe some confusion uh, even potentially internally. I think the law requires a, a office of energy performance. Um, but you know, like you're saying, if you reduce your the energy consumption uh, in one building, that's one way to meet the target. But in one building, maybe another way to look at reducing carbon is is actually a fuel switch that maybe doesn't save energy per se. Sure. Great. And kind of moving us then in that direction, unless I've uh, I've missed something, you want to pull me back. But thinking a little bit about. Okay, I'm a building owner, and I'm maybe not sure uh, where I'm going to fit in this. Is there anything I can do to see what my carbon intensity is right now? What what factors are they using for this law? What factors will be in place for the 2024? And are do those factors change? Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, sure. Uh, you know the, the the law specifies you know what what factors should be used for the for the 2024. So specifically, you can take the the public disclosure benchmarking that you're you're doing anyways, and and easily convert that to you know get a, a sense of what your carbon footprint is. Um, obviously, things like you know square footage become become important, even if you have the energy use of your building. Uh, down pat. If you're off 15% on on your square footage, then uh, you're off 15% on your on your carbon footprint. You know, you know, one way or another. And and I think there'll be sort of increasing attention to sort of the the accuracy of of, of some of that information that goes into into benchmarking as a result. But you know, bottom line, it's a it's a pretty straightforward exercise to get a uh, basic sense of, of of where you stand for any any one building uh, relative to the 2024 target. 
Um, one thing to, as you kind of uh, set up, uh, to keep in mind is that the carbon impact of electricity uh, depends on what's going on with the uh, Con Edison in, in New York, at least, and the, the electricity grid. And, and you know, if, if solar panels and, and wind turbines are being used to generate that electricity, or if you know, gas, gas power plants are, are being used, that's, that's obviously a, a moving target. Um, and the carbon footprint of electricity, uh, the sort of way an owner would convert their electricity consumption to carbon uh, is, is defined for 2024, but um, left uh, to be defined uh, in, the, in the coming year based on further study for the years uh, you know, 2030 and, and beyond. Um, you know, there's a lot of discussion in the industry about electrification. The, the governor made a, a pretty bold uh, announcement in, in January that New York State would be 100% um, uh, carbon-free electricity by 2040. So um, while the grid is what it is today, it's, it's um, likely to change significantly. No one has a crystal ball on, on how fast Indian Point Power Plant, um, that's a nuclear plant that supplies a lot of carbon-free electricity in New York City, is going to go offline in the coming years. But then on the other hand, there's going to be a ramp-up of offshore wind um, plans. So um, that number for the 2030 and beyond is, is going to require a little bit more careful study to set um, appropriately for owners so that they have the right long-term signal and, and plan because nobody wants a, um, a moving target um, you know, that, that changes from, from year to year. Everybody, um, you know, I think the market requires a, a, a pretty steady uh, long-term long signal to make these uh, uh, significant you know, investments that will be required to uh, get buildings uh, under, the, under the limits. Right, and I think that's interesting to that point. I think some building owners were surprised on the portfolio manager score to that to that effect, right? You don't you don't you're scored on a curve uh, for portfolio managers specifically. And so that can be that can be difficult. If you're if everybody else improves, then your building worsens by comparison. But that's an interesting reason to just have this sort of cap uh, cap target. Uh, Per square foot carbon emissions target, rather than a percent better than other people or percent better than than yourself. Sure, and there was a lot of industry discussion about the you know best approaches to this. Uh, you know, um, you know, DC is taking a, a different approach and using more of an Energy Star kind of percentage based uh, framework. Um, and I don't think uh, anyone knows what the what the perfect right answer, but I think uh, any of the approaches uh, uh, that had been discussed over the past years would 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 involve a, a pretty substantial shakeup of um, a, a system. If you want to consider the you know New York City real estate or DC real estate as as having has a, having a lot of inertia, and um, you know this these changes are, are certainly intended to spur uh, more action around scaling up retrofits than. And frankly, the market has any idea of how to deliver, and that's that's the market of energy consultants like Stephen Winter Associates, uh, contractors, uh, property managers, owners. This is going to be a a new and, and big thing for uh, you know the entire industry, and uh, you know I think move some of these uh, uh, opportunities to evaluate you know one technology or another you know more to the top of the pile when it comes to uh, real estate asset asset management in, in, in general. Right, I think that's a great point, and it, I think we didn't even uh, necessarily start this conversation by putting it in that context of 
you know, people are saying this is, or Huffington Post says this is likely the largest single legislative mandate to cut climate pollution by any city in the world. That this is really supposed to be a big deal. It is a big deal, and we're going to see how that shakes out uh, in the market, kind of like you said. Yeah, and maybe, and we can talk about a, a couple. We've even today just or so far gotten into just kind of the, the broad strokes of it. Of, of course, there's there's devils and details and and uh, you know variances and, and exceptions that are that are um, it, it, at least it worth also speaking to. But uh, probably the the big one for um, that applies kind of most uh, significantly uh, in 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 New York is uh, a sort of a, a different approach taken for. Any buildings with uh, rent-regulated uh, apartments, um, which applies to you know a very large fraction. I, I believe it's up to fifty percent. Um, that could you know that may not be exactly correct, but it's a, a very substantial fraction of the of the multifamily market in in New York has at least one rent-regulated apartment. Um, the uh, you know discussions over the past year or two on on this topic have there's been a lot of concern of of energy upgrades. Uh, being passed through by owners and and, and uh, resulting in significant rent hikes, so a, a different approach has been taken for these buildings, and they'll they'll be subject to uh, implementing a kind of a, a prescriptive list of of energy upgrades by by 2024. That um, since these tend to be simpler pre-war type type buildings, uh, involves kind of thermostatic controls in in, in apartments and, and wireless sensors to make uh, boilers you know actually respond to the temperatures inside buildings as, as opposed to guessing based on outside temperature and a, and a few other kind of uh, lower cost items that'll have to be um, you know documented um, and and implemented by by 2024 so that's uh, one kind of important exception to, to kind of keep in mind and and there's a there's probably a few a few others that are worth talking about as, as, as well. Yeah, that's a great point. The the sort of discussion around affordable housing versus energy efficiency and and how that's come about in this and been covered and carved out in this legislation. Um, so, you know, moving those buildings forward and not completely allowing uh, you know no, nothing to take place, but providing a way to maintain some of the affordable housing that that we need across the city. Sure. Yeah, they're two two big important goals. And is are there any other carve outs you you mentioned that that or or differences or variances that that are important to talk about? Sure. Um, and maybe I guess carve out isn't isn't the right word, but um, that I that right. I used before. But um, you know, kind of additional considerations. Uh, you know, there's um, uh, a big potential opportunity to. Uh, Evaluate kind of uh, effectively deductions for renewable energy credits, RECs, uh, uh, involving the kind of purchase of uh, you know carbon-free electricity, and then you know if your building uses electricity and you uh, you know purchase that carbon-free electricity, then that that's sort of included in in your um, uh, you know in your reporting, uh, so you don't have to actually get penalized from a carbon standpoint for any of that that electricity. There's there's some you know. Uh, to be, I think, ironed out during the, the rulemaking, uh, uh, important details around you know what constitutes uh, you know a, a rec credit for clean supply, um, and uh, this is something that you know can't just be done once; would have to be done on an 
on an annual basis, um, but definitely something that um, is would be important for any building to to evaluate uh, relative to kind of other uh, capital investments to meet a, a particular target. Um, there's also potential, um, uh, even less defined, I guess, uh, to date, uh, greenhouse gas offsets that um, and credits that might be used to uh, uh, help buildings uh, comply. Um, and you know, finally, there's something that a lot of people are excited about, uh, including uh, myself, but um, something that I think needs also a lot of further study. There's a there's a recommendation uh, to have an advisory group look at um, the potential to allow for carbon trading uh, and a true kind of carbon trading market kind of across buildings, uh, uh, you know, to help buildings comply with the standards, to help owners of large portfolios, um, you know, allocate resources. Maybe they're doing a major capital project anyways in one building and one want, want to go deeper in one building and then uh, with other buildings, uh, um, you know, wait till a a capital cycle, uh, you know, that's after a, you know, after 2030 or after 2024. So as as a way of just providing the market more more flexibility, everybody's kind of pretty pretty excited about um, the potential for trading between buildings. But um, that is something that um, would be, you know, uh, you know, a few details would need to be figured out for for to to have a real a real viable um, uh, approach for that, and that's that's going to require more more careful study. But um, you know, it's something that uh, we should all keep our keep our eyes on. That's great, and that alludes to the the advisory panel that's built into the law itself, right? So there are rules about buildings built into the law and these carbon caps, but as there's also a new uh, office of of energy. Uh, I'm going to say that wrong, energy management or something, uh, building energy uh, performance, that's the right one, um, which we alluded to before. And then there's also an advisory panel to that uh, that new part of the government. Is, is that, am I getting that right? Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, while the, the, the bill itself has, uh, has a lot of technical details in it, um, you know, to apply to a, a city with you know, three billion square feet uh, of real estate uh, above twenty-five thousand square feet, there's there's um, uh, you know a lot more that that needs to get um, uh, thought through, as as with any law um, in in the rulemaking stage and and beyond. And then there's some, you know, in addition to the carbon trading, uh, um, you know, opportunity. There's some uh, additional pretty thorny um, considerations that'll that'll need to be evaluated from. Uh, from a lot of different perspectives uh, over over time, including you know what those targets should be beyond beyond 2030, where you're really getting into uh, you know what are the you know what are the physical limits of, of buildings, and then um, like we discussed before, what should the um, you know uh, carbon footprint of electricity be uh, you know in, in the future, in addition to being a, a fixed number, since no one has a crystal ball, but but you know certainty is good for planning. Um, there's also uh, a lot of thinking that um, it's it's going to take the grid probably 20 plus years to substantially uh, clean up, or, or exactly 20 years if if, if the governor's plan um, holds holds through for New York State state, um, and it's going to take buildings uh, you know that much time to also uh, um, upgrade their infrastructure with uh, efficient electric heat pumps that um, are just kind of just starting in the pilot phase in, in bigger buildings in, in New York. And um, for building owners to, 
you know, make the decision, maybe not this year or next year, but, you know, closer to 2030 and, and, and soon after 2030, um, you know, decisions are going to have to be made between, you know, do I double down on my existing fossil fuel-based system or do I implement a new, a new heat pump that maybe also provides cooling as, a, as, a, as an, an amenity and increases building value? We're um, kind of far from being able to do that at scale, but for, um, frankly, for innovation to happen in the market, um, a, a long-term signal that, um, you know, favors electrification um, is something that would be very helpful. And the other thing that would be very helpful is for us to learn about these new technologies over the next few years so we learn what works, what doesn't work, and, and, and how to sort of scale up um, them when, uh, when the time is right um, and when the grid, you know, you know, in tandem with supporting the grid. Um, so that's, uh, that's something that uh, is, is, you know, obviously a pretty p complex question that needs a lot, a lot more further uh, study from, from a variety of perspectives. And that's one of the things that the uh, advisory committee will be charged with uh, looking, looking into more, more closely. Great. And you mentioned a little bit heat pumps. Not that necessarily that heat pumps aren't being used at scale on the heating and cooling side. Are you specifically referring to heat pumps for other applications like domestic hot water? Sure. I mean, uh, any, any, um, the whole, I mean, you know, in broad strokes, the, the, you know, the, the bumper sticker climate solution is to electrify everything, uh, meaning uh, anything that burns something right now. And uh, mm -hmm. then uh, get the carbon out of the uh, electricity supply with with wind, solar, uh, uh, batteries, uh, hydro, and and, and and nuclear. Um, you know, easy, easier said than said than done. But basically, anything we're anything we're burning right now um, is is certainly uh, a candidate for electrification in terms of building systems. Where it makes sense to start first is is, is sort of a the more important question probably. And and uh, there are heat pumps that. Can uh, actually take BTUs out of the outdoor air and 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 make hot water um, and and be used in some cases to uh, uh, lessen Coned's uh, peak winter gas demand uh, you know problems in certain targeted neighborhoods and there's there's obviously the the VRF and mini split type heat pumps that can be used to provide space conditioning and um, uh, comfort cooling um, and you know I think are certainly superior to our kind of Typical um, in a residential setting, steam radiator and, and window air conditioner type type uh, setup, but but obviously also uh, you know result you know considerably expensive to 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 retrofit. So um, those are the the kinds of technologies the market really needs to sort of uh, you know test out and evaluate more in the context of of, of bigger buildings because I think I think they're further along in smaller one to four family homes in in other parts of the country, but I think the Bigger building retrofit of those kinds of technologies is is still a uh, very much a new thing to the to the New York market in, in, in particular. Right, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, shout out to Rob uh, and his podcast last season on the smaller uh, one to four family home uh, lessons learned from heat pump installation that I think can can definitely apply, or at least we should definitely be thinking about as we scale up that type of technology to larger buildings. Uh, we should think about what we've learned from the single family and and small multifamily space uh, that would apply here as well. Sure, and, and maybe you know these new technologies are are um, you know need to be evaluated and, and and piloted by the by the early adopters. But just so there's not kind of any confusion, I think the um, you know the the for a typical residential building, 
you know, so especially an older kind of pre-war one that, that you know, burns a lot of fuel, um, probably the most, uh, you know, likely and common path uh, to to get that building to the, the, the 2030 compliance level will be around getting the, you know, the steam system balanced and, 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 and working and, and using that fuel as, as efficiently as possible. It's sort of... Um, it's sort of after 2030 that um, I think folks will really need to be um, looking at, at, at heat pumps at, at you know very very significant scale um, for you know especially space heating um, and on the on the commercial office side it's 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 worth pointing out as has been pointed out by by many large owners that um, uh, tenants drive the the carbon footprint uh, with their electricity use plug loads and and lighting within tenant spaces uh, you know more than anything often more than 50 percent of a, of a um, office, large office buildings uh, footprint. So that will require, um, you know, strategies uh, that have to be, you know, put in place over time to to implement upgrades at, um, you know, when it makes sense from a real estate standpoint at at turnovers and and, and fit outs in order to address the uh, the the tenant load, which is really out of the owner's kind of a direct control. So um, you know, uh, definitely there'll be I think more of a focus on. Um, on tenants in general and, and behavior with this kind of performance standard, um, because as opposed to energy efficiency, where it's uh, you know one motor is 82% efficient, the other one's 84. I mean, you know, behavior and, and how these you know devices and appliances are used are, are is what's going to drive um, you know ultimate uh, you know carbon performances as much as anything, and, and that's something that you know the industry as a as a whole hasn't really uh, grappled with uh, with with too much. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And uh, I think in that world, do you think uh, there is, you know, is this a lease language kind of uh, uh, forced um, capture of these energy efficiency measures uh, or, or putting that into the lease language that, that tenants are required to fit those out? Or do you think that's going to be easier to to sort of be a, we now take that out of the responsibility of the tenants and and the building owner is, is you know, supposed to be doing some of this work? Or um, are we going to see sort of different methods from different Owners of of how to make this move this forward. I you know I, I uh, you know I, I don't pretend to know the the you know what's going to make the most sense for um, you know every kind of building and and, and ownership uh, type. I, I think this is a you know to, this is a big new thing um, that uh, is going to need to be you know evaluated closely and um, I think kind of um, because of the nature of the goals uh, you know. Everything probably should be on the on the on the table, from you know looking at your leases to your you know staging your um, uh, um, you know fit outs in a in a in a, in a certain way, and and uh, you know obviously uh, building on plan capex work that you're doing anyways, looking at more discretionary projects uh, in a strategic way to you know reduce uh, energy use and and hopefully also uh, you know add other values to to buildings and. Um, you know, I think there's gonna emerge, you know, some some pretty standardized packages for for most kind of the of the main building typologies and ownership structures in the in the city. But um, you know, uh, and in concert with the renewable energy credits and greenhouse gas offsets, um, uh, I don't think there's going to be a, a perfect one size fits all strategy. And and uh, um, it's something that um, I think. Well, I'm a procrastinator. Um, I think the 
most cost-effective way for the market to really respond to this is to at least start planning soon and, and understand you know, what they might have to do to meet these targets. It doesn't mean you have to do major capital projects tomorrow, but I think um, you should probably be in, in any building's uh, owner's uh, interest in, in, in knowing sooner rather than later what will be involved so that the, everything can be approached kind of uh, you know, as systematically um, uh, as, as, as possible. And realistically, 2024 is really not that far away. Sure, and and again, the the 2024 cap uh, was was intended um, to catch you know um, maybe the most uh, egregious kind of waste, the the type of stuff that could be um, uh, addressed through through retro commissioning in a in a maybe a typical retro commissioning uh, or typical residential building with uh, you know maybe steam leaks or that that sort of thing. Um, you know that that said, um, I, I think we. I think everybody recognizes that there is a difference between, you know, energy or carbon intensity and energy efficiency. There's certainly some very large buildings that um, have efficient systems but have very intense kind of uses and, and, and tenants and um, uh, may find it, you know, challenging to, uh, you know, move the needle very fast uh, in, in, you know, as, as a result of the nature of the building. So um, I think the 2024 standard will be um, something that, any building that that's over it um, and has kind of egregious waste um, probably has reasons that they've they've been you know um, uh, I guess you could say wasting that energy um, uh, to date and and some of them could be good reasons some of them could be bad reasons but um, uh, th- those are buildings that are uh, gonna um, you know uh, need to move certainly pretty fast to to get things in place by 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 2024. Great. And that's an excellent point, I think, that, and maybe alluding to, there's a downside to, to everything, but the, um, I think there's an idea that there's a tension between this, you know, targeting bigger buildings because they have higher carbon emissions. And so if we really want to make a stab at the carbon emissions in the city, we have to focus on um, kind of large buildings. But they are... Uh, we're talking about a per square foot basis. So technically speaking, if it's a, a very large but empty building, you're going to use less carb to, carbon than a, than a very large but full building. Um, and so there is this, this a little bit of a, a tension there. But as far as moving the needle towards a world where you know, we're not increasing temperatures across the, the globe, we, we have to be thinking about you know, how we're consuming energy at, at any level. And we need to find a metric, uh, and, and the sort of per square foot basis, I think, is the only the only way that that made the most sense in in the city here. Yeah, I mean, like I, I think um, you know, at this point, just kind of looking forward, it, it is it is what it is, um, and it's I think the the question answer is you know what's the most cost effective approach for for any any building to kind of uh, meet these targets um, and. And I think looking at these, you know, this just as a carbon um, reduction thing is, is probably a missed opportunity to see, you know, what can you do that improves tenant experience, uh, you know, adds, adds to the asset value, uh, reduces or uh, simplifies maintenance, and then also uh, reduces carbon footprint. Um, I think that's um, probably a, a better way of, of, of looking at it than just um, as, you know, what can I do to, to, to minimize this, um, uh, you know, carbon carbon fine. Great point. 
And uh, do you have any other uh, recommendations? You said uh, start looking at what, how your building's using energy now and what kinds of things you'd have to input, uh, put in place to meet the 2024 and 2030 goals. Maybe start by uh, looking at that retro commissioning study and tuning up your building. Um, what else should I be looking at as a building owner or um, uh, as an operator? I think having just having having knowing where you stand is is probably you know step one, um, and that um, uh, you know means you know looking at your benchmarking data, but also making sure that the the benchmarking data is 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 accurate, including the not just the energy and the the space programming type, but the the square footage, um, and then having a sense of of what kinds of changes you can make. Uh, in your building over time, um, or you would have to make in your building over time to meet, um, you know, either the 2024 or the 2030 targets. Um, I, I think is is just step one, and then you know what what any building owner you know does with that information is is going to depend on a on a bunch of different different circumstances. But um, I think you know not not knowing where you stand or um, what you might have to do to meet the target. Till you know mid midway through the 2020s, will um, you know put buildings in a in a, a kind of a uh, you know reduce reduce flexibility and, and reduce options and increase costs uh, ultimately. Great, and the I think we've or you've really pitched the idea of um, you know there's a lot of buzz around smart buildings and uh, what smart buildings really mean and to you I think uh, I mean you know maybe you can describe this a little bit better but that you know a smart building is is not necessarily just this strapping sensors on uh, all different places and and watching everything but being smart about how you're distributing steam through your building and and balancing steam and and uh, being smart about how you're ventilating and um, you know can you can you speak a little bit about how that might apply to uh, how building owners can view this and and what kinds of moves they have to make in the next couple of years? Uh, sure. Well, I, I think, um, you know, while, I, you know, uh, building, uh, you know, in, 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 the, in the tech world, uh, you know, owners kind of, or, you know, the market kind of likes, you know, new for the sake of new. I think building owners, for, for good, good reasons, generally like... Uh, uh, old for the sake of old, and and um, you know, so I think uh, there hasn't quite been as much uh, disruption yet in the real estate space with kind of emerging technologies as as in other um, sectors. Um, that said, I, I think there's uh, you know everyone's looking closely at at what you know new technologies are available with wireless communication and um, you know enhanced controls uh, that can be uh, from a retrofit standpoint, especially just kind of. Uh, layered on to existing buildings uh, kind of seamlessly. And I think, you know, there are, you know, increasing options, obviously, for these kinds of technology solutions in the coming years. And, and there are options that we really didn't have, you know, in a meaningful way, you know, five to ten years ago. So that's that's great. Um, you know, that, that, that said, um, we have, uh, you know, old infrastructure, uh, old steam systems, old ventilation systems that... Um, you know, can't just be addressed by uh, putting a new wireless sensor uh, on them. So I think there's a um, a need to both look at the kind of meat and potatoes kind of infrastructure, steam balancing, um, 
uh, wind, leaky window air conditioner type issues we see in our buildings and, and, and marry those with, with also kind of new communication and wireless sensors to, again, ultimately deliver a, you know, a better tenant experience and, and, and you know, a more attractive asset to, to the market in addition to also reducing carbon. So I think you have to do both the, both the new technology and the old technology to meet these goals. And it's, and it's good to have both together because, um, you know, um, I think without some of these newer options, uh, owners would uh, have much more difficulty. And I think, broadly speaking, um, you know, I would consider a, a building smart if it, if, it, if it does both. If it, you know, has the, um, the pipes balanced and, and has the sensors in place and then um, puts, puts the two together to the, to the benefit of, of, of all the people that are, that are associated with the building, including the, including the service contractor, including the property manager, including the owner, including uh, the folks that kind of live and work, work in the buildings. That's a great point. And I know, you know, a quick plug, I know you've worked a lot on this uh, smartbuildings.nyc. So if anybody wants some more information in that world, uh, they should definitely check that out. And I think the last thing that we like to end on is, uh, and, and we have a lot, uh, a lot that's going to happen in the next five years. Uh, we'll be about right there at, at 2024. What do you think we're going to be saying uh, when we have you back on the podcast in in five years? In uh, in, in in five years, I think um, uh, I'll be excited to uh, you know have learned about how um, kind of New York steps up to this challenge with uh, you know innovation really to to solve this solve this problem um, and you know. And I think uh, I think we'll probably, you know, have a much better sense of you know what makes sense where. And I think I you know I, I feel for owners that get pitched from a lot of uh, you know snake oil and you know other other vendors saying you know they have a magic box to save this much energy here or there. Um, but I think I think the dust will settle in the next few years, and there'll be some pretty standardized and robust and proven approaches that. Um, the the market can can have you know confidence in to, to implement and that'll be you know an, an exciting thing to be to be a part of um, but I think it'll it'll also require some um, you know some pain and brain damage frankly in the next few years to kind of figure that out um, but um, yeah I, th- I think that's where we'll that's where we'll be uh, five five years ish 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 from now <laughs> thanks that's a I think that's a great answer so I'm looking forward to that conversation so. Uh, thank you so much for for being on the podcast with me this morning and and talking us through the the you know the next five years. Great. Well, uh, looking forward to to, to talking more uh, uh, between now and then too. Thank you for listening to Buildings and Beyond. For more information about the topics discussed today, visit www.swinter.com/podcast and check out the episode show notes. Buildings and Beyond is brought to you by Stephen Winter Associates. We provide energy, green building, and accessibility consulting services to improve the built environment. Our professionals have led the way since 1972 in the development of best practices to achieve high-performance buildings. Our production team for today's episode includes Dylan Martello, Alex Mirable, and myself, Heather Breslin. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.